Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 14th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. There are lots of ways to reach me now, so if you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest or you just want to chat, you can email me at rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com. You can also find me on Facebook or Instagram. If you just want to know about more, more about each show, you can go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. Also, if you'd like to receive my newsletter, if you haven't gotten it yet, uh, you can sign up for that at homebodiesyoga.com as well. Um, you know, it's like, I worked really hard on it, and it'd be great if you read it, if you want to. You don't have to, no pressure, but, you know, it's got some cool variations of pigeon that I'm into right now. There's a good recipe. There's my thoughts about suffering. <laughs> I know it's a great pitch. It made you really want to read it, I'm sure. Um, anyway, you can sign up for that at homebodiesyoga.com. Or even better, if you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe. One, so you don't miss an episode, but two, it helps people find the show and then we get a bigger community. We get more people to talk to, which is always super fun. (sighs) I've been thinking a lot about what I talked about last week in episode 13, the reckoning of yoga to the people and, you know, just how I was kind of in general talking about how... You know, whenever there's something wonderful uh, and transformative like yoga, there will be people who take advantage of it and use it to earn money or influence or power in some way. And I've been kind of applying it to my yoga practice. Um, I don't, there's nothing I feel as though, like I wasn't a big famous yoga teacher, you know, I had a little following, a little couple of little classes so I don't think I ever use my influence to like gain money or power but in my own practice you know I I started doing yoga really had nothing to do with like seeking or or looking uh, to become a better person or to I mean even as self-care like I don't think self-care was even a concept for me then Um, I started yoga when I was 20 and it was completely aesthetic. Like I just wanted to be hotter. Like I just wanted to be smaller and hotter and, you know, fitter. And I was like, well, this yoga thing seems to be something I could do. Um, And really that's why I started doing it. And, you know, I guess probably maybe in the very back, back, back somewhere I wasn't paying attention to at all. I had this awareness of it making me feel better. Um, But I wouldn't say, you know, before... when I started first starting yoga, I even really had an awareness of my body as something that I should care about how it felt or even my mind. And when I think about it, I'm like, oh, that poor Rebecca. But like, honestly, I don't think I had any awareness. Um, so the, yeah. So my start with the yoga practice was this like very just aesthetic thing where I just, you know, did it because I wanted to like lose weight or what, or be a smaller size, or I don't even remember. I think there was like a small dress I wanted to fit in. Um, and I've been kind of like thinking about that past and like, you know, of course, like I have a completely different understanding of yoga now. And I definitely, you know, yoga has helped me to have some more, uh, thoughtfulness have this ability to not be completely 
um, ruled by my desires and wishes and thoughts of my mind. And, you know, it's given me more composure and definitely has given me this sense that my body can be something other than just what other people look at, that my body can be this, like, you know, vehicle for transformation inside and a a way to feel pleasure, which, you know, sadly, I don't really think it was before. And I'm grateful to the yoga practice for that, but I'm not sure the idea of wanting my yoga practice as this way to like get fitter or physically better has ever really gone away. Like, I don't know if I've ever done, I mean, maybe, maybe when I was pregnant, but I don't know if I've ever done a whole yoga practice, not at all thinking about how it might change me physically, which when I really think about that, it's like pretty depressing. Like I'm almost 35 years old. I'm married to a husband who's like, loves me really. Honestly, he loves me in all ways for a fact. I know this, like I'm not even seeing anyone right now. I'm seeing like the people in my bubble, which are, are one very good close couple of friends and their child and my husband's parents and my husband, like that's all I'm seeing. But yet I'm still like, doing my yoga practice being like well I better throw in some core work like not because I'm listening to myself and that's where it really gets me is like you know all of these guests I've been having have been saying like oh they're at this mature part in their yoga practice where they can really just sit down and like ask their body what it needs and I don't know if I can ever 100% do that because I'm still somehow linking this yoga practice with a way I want to look and one I like fuck could I just stop obsessing about that like will that ever go away like oh I'm so sick of caring but you can't make yourself stop caring and then two like I just I want like a pure yoga practice that has nothing to do with that because I want to be able to really listen to myself so that this yoga practice can age with me but then on the other hand I do think there's inherent value to movement uh beyond just yoga like any movement I think you know I think taking care of the body and moving the body is like paramount to mental health for me personally anyway and that like that you know it it it's good for the body like taking care of the body is good for the body and movement is something a body needs uh so I do think that but then on the other hand I'm like but I just can't yoga just be this thing I just listen to myself and if I just want to lay on my yoga mat I I cannot obsess about it like oh can I just here's what I say to myself all the time like can I just please stop being so crazy I don't know if that's a good that's probably a bad mantra don't use that mantra I think like I am love is a much better mantra but that is mine most of the time um (laughs) anyway uh yeah so the way that I've been kind of getting through that is now I spend 20 to 30 minutes doing like pure just physical movement like I'll do Pilates or I'll do a spin class or and like I enjoy those too in a totally different way or I'll you know lift my little eight pound weights while I listen to a podcast um so I do that and then maybe once I get that out sometimes on my yoga mat I can just focus on how I feel um and that's been like you know I've been having varying degrees of success with that. I really, really have been trying. Um, and it, it does clear your mind like it does where I can, I have 
can have like I can hear that little part of myself that's like this is what you need just like a tiny bit louder (laughs) you know I can just like come out of it with this like sense of satisfaction that like I'm taking care of myself um which is supposedly what I'm doing the whole time I don't know I'm a mess or that's a bad mantra too Jesus Rebecca I'm doing the best I can there's a mantra um and I don't know I and and just I just want to have a little bit more the of the kind of poise that comes poise and composure that comes from allowing your myself to just sit there when I need to just sit there or really listening uh, one to myself and so that I, I can be more clear when I'm talking to other people or when I'm dealing in my life um, yeah anyways um, my guest today Raquel has a lot of composure um, the kind of composure where you just know that she um, has spent some time thinking like really working on herself um and she's really everything you could want in a yoga teacher she has like the most calming voice on earth and she is really really smart about alignment in a and in a really gentle way but she's still sort of willing to like I don't know she definitely has command over her yoga room um in a way that doesn't feel like stressful or pressured it just feels safe Uh, she's really good at holding that container Um, and it was really great talking to her I would uh, really uh, especially if you're a yoga instructor looking for some tips on how to teach on zoom or how to teach in general or uh, better ways to teach private clients I would really listen to this podcast she also if you're a yoga student just has like really good thoughts about ways of approaching your yoga mat um, and being like really free and flexible with yourself but still disciplined so without further ado here is Raquel Um, okay well welcome Raquel thank you so much for being here thanks for having me Rebecca Uh, so let's just get started. You are a yoga instructor, but you're kind of a special kind of yoga instructor. Can you talk a little bit about what you do, what you teach? Yes. So I have been uh, practicing yoga since 2009. Right? So it's been a good 11 years now and teaching for almost 10. And I've always liked more alignment based yoga. I do like to practice and teach some flow classes, but I'm really into these days, the therapeutic stuff um, and really making yoga accessible to anyone. So most of my students and private clients are on the 50 plus uh, age group. And I really love working with them because it's not about the fancy pose. It's not about going to the end ranges of movement. It's not about doing anything extreme. It's about, oh, how can I meet myself where I am today? So these days now with COVID, everybody had to pivot to this online platform. So I'm teaching pretty much all of my private clients. And then I have um, three classes on Zoom and they are my classes. And it's, the good thing about Zoom is that um, pulling out students from all of these years from teaching across town and even uh, some of them that are have moved out of the city 
So now they're like, oh, it's so great that I can practice with you since we have this whole pandemic happening. So uh, these days, that's my spiel, the therapeutic, gentle, anyone can do, anyone can follow. You can just arrive as you are and, and, and have fun and just have fun on your mat. I love that. Um, I, so I've heard a lot of yoga teachers lately wanting to make their um, teaching more inclusive. Um, and I don't, I feel like to varying degrees of success, I've seen that happen. Um, so actually your experience is really interesting to me that you're used to teaching people in the 50 plus range. Are there any tips you'd give to someone trying to make their classes more inclusive for the older body? Um, the coolest thing that I enjoy about my classes is because they're simple mm. and simple doesn't have to be boring. And the more I teach, the more I realize that the most satisfying practice, it's a very simple one, but with infused with a lot of presence and intention and breathing. So when I'm practicing, um, I can sometimes get fancy and technical me on myself, but when I'm teaching, especially now on zoom, that we have a delay between what you say when the instruction gets to them, their brain understands the instruction and then they do the pose um, is that we need to keep things simple in order because if you notice the fewer transitions we do in a class, the more flowy it feels. So if you are a teacher and you're wanting to uh, appeal to um, different age uh, ages of groups. And if you want to appeal to other people, older people, you can go back to basics and maybe go back to your sequencing. How can I make this accessible? How can I do a bunch of stuff on supine and then transition to all fours and then transition to standing? And add detail, add nuance to these shapes. And number one, practice it yourself in your body. And when you are teaching, make a point to look at your students, even if they are on the other side of the screen. Because I don't know if you've seen this, Rebecca, I don't know, if, um, but there's two ways of teaching these days. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other. There is the way where um, the teacher has their camera up on their yoga mat and they're doing the practice along with the students, which is one thing. Another thing is what I am doing these days, 99% of the time, is me sitting down here in my chair, staring at them over the screen. And when I see them, I can say, Yvonne, is that your right leg? <laughs> Howie, are you doing that on purpose? And it reminds them of, oh, this is how it feels to be in a real yoga class. The teacher is looking at me and I feel seen. And from all of a sudden, the teacher is in, is in my living room, is in my bedroom. And that creates a sense of community that is it's hard to build over a screen. So the little things that us teachers can do to make this feel as close as possible to the real thing, us in a yoga studio, um, the better. Um, but I know that's not how some people are doing and it's totally fine. And I'll tell you what, Rebecca, it's way harder <laughs> to just sit here mm -hmm. and look at them 
and be patient when you say everybody step the right foot forward in between the hands and then a third of them step the left leg and <laughs> you know so to me it's been very challenging as a teacher to develop the skill of looking at bodies and teaching using just my verbal skills and I have had to well, my class is already kind of slow, <laughs> but I had to bring it to another level of slowness, which doesn't mean it's sluggish, but it's just like a little slower because they need, you know, there's this lag between what I say and what they hear and what they do. And that is to me, another way that us teachers can hold the space we talk a lot about in the yoga space right how can we hold the space to our students hold the space energetically right i can see you we're here live this is a live stream class we're all here at the same time they put the yoga class on their schedule so did i we're here we do our um you know just before class that you talk to your students oh hi how are you what happened you know because and trying to keep this as normal as possible and we're almost a year into this now and I feel like we've learned a lot as teachers and I think online yoga is kind of here to stay in a way I don't think it's going to be a hundred percent I wouldn't like my practice as a student to be 100 percent online but if I can practice with my teacher who doesn't live here in the city anymore, I will, I will make the time to show up for her online classes. <sighs> I love that. I love the idea of being seen, especially. I think that's something I'm definitely missing because I've taken some Zoom classes, but yeah, the person is practicing, which is great. Like it's good to see what they want you to do, but I could see it also being really nice for someone to, because I'm sure I'm developing like all of these weird habits just because I'm by myself in here. I have no idea what I look like, you know, like I was taking some video of me doing something the other day and I was like, my hips were completely crooked, like in forearm stand. I had no idea. It felt straight. So I would love to have you say like, Rebecca, <laughs> that is your left leg. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I was even in a class yesterday and there were like, I don't know, a hundred people in the Zoom class. And my teacher was like, Raquel, great. That looks great. I was like, oh, <laughs> and it's so subtle, but I think it makes, it makes a whole difference. That's why people show up for a live stream class as opposed to a pre-recorded class. I don't know. Have you ever uh, uh, taken pre-recorded yoga classes? Yeah, I do, but it feels more like a home practice to me. Yes, and let me ask you this. Does it feel playful and fun and, okay, this is Rebecca having her time in her yoga mat, or does it feel more like duty? Mm, I, I think it depends on my mood, personally. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. it's a, yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask you something else though. And this is just because I noticed when I taught private clients, um, I had a hard time sometimes because they want to chat a lot of the time. Um, and I don't mind chatting, but I was getting paid hourly not to chat with them. <laughs> do you, do you have, uh, some, like, do you think the chit chatting is better or worse over zoom? 
Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think in person, uh, people tend to be a little bit more chatty because you're right there with them. Yeah. And I do have a couple of clients that like to chat a lot. And so here's the thing about the chatting. If there's a little bit of chatting in the beginning of the session, and if you as a teacher feel that it's a checking in, meaning they're giving you valuable information so that you can plan the class for them according to their needs, then yes, we can give them five, seven minutes. But at some point you will notice it just derails into them maybe having an audience and maybe needing to vent. So that's when we as teachers have to go back to being the container, right? And saying, okay, Mary, sounds like we should work a little bit more on shoulders and releasing upper body and the tension in the upper body. How does that sound? Mm. Oh, that sounds great. Okay, so let's get started. And you kind of very slowly, you guide them into doing what you want them to do. And then even throughout practice, depending on how people are, that say they're in a pose, they're holding a pose, they're holding bridge pose. Let's say a supported bridge pose, right? With the block underneath the pelvis. If you know it's someone that really likes to chat throughout class, and that person's usually more on the anxious side, you know, it, uh, because speaking is a way of maintaining space between you and them. Because some people mm-hmm. feel, very, feel very uncomfortable with silence. Well, so, that's a whole different topic we can talk another day. But um, when, when they're like too chatty like this during the session, you can acknowledge. Yes, yeah. Or you can just nod. You don't even have to say anything. And you go back to giving them something to do. Mm. paying attention to their feet as they press the floor relaxing the shoulders in that bridge pose let the mouth be open another one I really like close your eyes <laughs> like we're asking them to go in especially in a private yoga class and that kind of brings me to something I kind of wrote it down to talk about that the way We practice, we as teachers, we as students, the way we are with ourselves on the mat is the way we are with ourselves in the world. Mm. So I am pretty hard on myself most of the time. And I'm learning not to do that. So when I'm teaching someone, it's kind of very easy for me to be welcoming and inviting and kind of take it easy and be okay with their shortcomings and by shortcomings i mean oh i wish they could do this with their body like it doesn't matter but me when i'm practicing what do you mean you can't do this (laughs) right so it's been it's been years that i'm trying to deconstruct this and seeing more and more this rectangular rubber space of ours where transformation happens, our yoga mat, a very soft place for us to land and welcome ourselves. Like where, okay, where am I now? As I sit on my yoga mat, how do I welcome myself? And 
am I doing this enough for me so I have enough to offer this to my students? You might have noticed that the moment you start teaching too much, teaching, 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 your personal practice is the first thing that goes out the door, out the window, right? The first thing that goes out. And then teaching becomes a chore. It becomes something you need to do because you need to pay rent. <laughs> and then you play, and then you, and then where's the joy? Where's the fun? Where's the connecting to yourself and to the students that you, you used to feel uh, before? And then the answer is very simple. You just go back to your mat. <laughs> and then again, you sit down. How am I welcoming myself? How am I? And then just this morning, I had this analogy. It's like a compass. Your yoga mat is like a compass. So you sit down, you close your eyes, and you ask, how's my needle today? Where is the needle pointing? Is, it, is the needle all over the place? as if it were inside a magnetic storm, which to me is pretty much every day. But then after you practice, after you move, oh, there you are. There you can feel the needle pointing towards your north, even if it's just for a few seconds. So kind of tying into um, what we're discussing before or wanting to discuss the this whole thing of what, the, what practice means to you right now and how, how do I practice? How do I show up for myself? And I've always thought about the practice as a container. And there's another thing I wanted to, to bring up is um, Practicing as a student and teaching when you are feeling uh, negative emotions, right? Because it's so easy to practice when everything's fun and wonderful and bright in your life. Oh, I'm going to go to my yoga class, right? It's easy, which has its value. But I have come to experience in myself and in my students that the major breakthroughs in the way they see themselves and the way they digest what's happening to them is when they are experiencing very negative emotions. And I'm just going to talk about sadness, grief, loss, and overwhelm. So I remember a few times in this past 11 years where like, I remember one day I'm on my way to my yoga class and it wasn't a angry yoga class. Anyway, quite a few years ago and very overwhelmed with something that was happening in my life. And as I'm walking down the street about two blocks before I get to the yoga studio, um, I start crying. I'm crying and crying and crying. I'm telling myself, I can go to yoga like this. Tying into how you live your life, how you see yourself, is how you're going to practice on the mat. So I was very still very hard on myself back then. How would I dare showing up to yoga class looking a mess and feeling a mess and being a mess? And then the very next thought was so was such a relief. The very next thought was, wait a minute. That's why we practice. 
so we can continue to stay consistent, especially when we are a mess. And I remember for that class and for the other times that I felt like a mess going to a yoga class, it was such a relief to have an hour and a half of your day to have a break from that personal drama. It's like a safety net. It's like the yoga practice is a safety net, something you can rest on, you can give yourself to it, you can be on your mat. And of course, the drama is still in the background, but it's not yelling in front of you, angry, wanting, grasping for your attention, wanting to be seen. It's a moment you can for an hour and a half or even an hour, just put that on the background so you can breathe and remember that that too shall pass. And I find that true for when you are experiencing negative emotions as a student going to class and as a teacher, because when you're teaching, you're like, okay, I can't indulge in my drama right now. For the next hour, I am here for these people. So the personal drama had to, again, to go to the background. And literally, I remember closing my eyes and being standing, being my Tadasana, my mountain pose. Pull yourself together. Not from a place of, Raquel, you're a hot mess right now. Like, you know, like being kind of like this, but being more like nourishing. I need to pull myself together, gather my energies, gather my strength. Because this is how I want to show up for these people right now. And having the exact same benefit as I did going to that Iyengar class. Of being able to hold it in, almost like sealing my energy body. So I'm not leaking that energy out and just containing myself and teaching the class. And just being able to hold and know for myself, that I can tend to myself, I can continue to practice, I can continue to teach, even when things are a hot mess in my life. And I have found that yoga does come to the rescue every single time if we give ourselves to it. So just looking here my in my yoga mat, it's this Reminder, um, come home, right? Come to yourself. And, um, and another thing that came to me this morning is this idea of you being your mat invites self-intimacy. I don't even know if that's a term. Maybe I just made that up. But it's me looking into me, intimacy, in into me I see what do I see just about a month ago um, I didn't have the because I was on vacation didn't have the appropriate space to do a quiet practice just a sitting meditation practice and when I finally did after two months of just doing more asana when I sat down crossed my legs and like closed my eyes it was like oh a major relief and tears coming down my eyes because I was noticing, where was I? 
the the needle on my compass was all over the place for the previous two months. And the moment, the moment I sat down, it it took seconds for the needle to go to north. Seconds, and that to me, inside, <sighs> it's so wonderful to know that you have your practice to fall back on and allow yourself to be teary-eyed and overwhelmed in the moment and then smile. Yeah, I um, I think also in a weird way, I feel like sadness a lot of times on my yoga mat has given me a real sense of actual clarity. Like sometimes when you're sad, it makes the world almost, not in a bad way, but sharper. Like feelings are sharper, um, sensations of your body, thoughts. It's just things get this sense of clarity that you don't always get when you're like, you know, in a great mood or, or happy. Um, uh, so I, I was wondering what you, what is your, how does your practice vary? So you sit on your mat, your compass is going everywhere. What, what are some poses that you do that like sort of get you back into your body? Yes. So <clears throat> these days um, I'm shifting to practice in the morning Throughout the years, the practice, I felt more, feel more alive in the morning, sometimes more in the middle of the afternoon. But these days, um, my mat is there. I walk in. It's pretty simple. I do some side bends. I do some twists. I dig into my legs, like pyramid legs. But the pose that really brings me down is down dog. Mm. It's really down dog. I'm just spending my time kind of hip side to side and digging into my legs and then a little bit of a flow to get the whole range of movement in the spine. And then when I feel I'm warmed up, then I do sit down for some, some quiet time. I have a very hard time just getting out of bed and meditating without moving my body. I don't, uh, I feel like, oh, my neck hurts, my hips hurt, and I'm not warmed up. So I need to tend to the tightness of the body before I sit down for a few minutes. And these days I have been needing more support from my practice. So I have been doing guided meditations lately um, because I need someone to tell me what to do. Mm. Isn't that a gift? Someone telling you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this is so interesting because when you're, when you're a teacher, what are you doing? You're basically telling people what to do the whole time. And then when you're in your practice, I feel like, oh, my God, I have to teach me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can, can I have a break? So for the movement practice, um, I am trying to switch now and allowing someone else to guide me so I can be more on the student side and turn off the teacher brain. Because sometimes if I'm practicing on my own, I am telling myself, step the right foot forward in between the hands, straight the back leg. I am teaching myself. <laughs> then it's not, okay, maybe that's not what I need right now. So um, these days, even for asana, for the movement practice and for the meditation practice, I am wanting to be more and more on the seat of the student. That I'm being guided. I can relax my consciousness. I don't have to pay, I don't have to analyze how the teacher is teaching the class, where they're going with the sequence. I can just rest into being rather than doing. Mm. 
Yeah, definitely. You know, something I've noticed when I knew you before this, and also even even in this conversation, what you're saying and like your ability to make very close eye contact is you have this comfort with intimacy that not that many people have. I mean, even the ability actually, I think one of the hardest things as a teacher is to put a student in a pose, a resting pose, and just be quiet. I, I had a very difficult time with that. It feels very uncomfortable for me. Um, have you always had this comfort with intimacy or is this from meditation? Like, how do we get some of that? <laughs> how do I yes. get some of that? <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> this comes and goes, but teaching a um, couple, couple months ago, I went to yoga class <laughs> online and the teacher wouldn't, wouldn't shut up. <laughs> she was talking the whole time. And me as a student, I need a break. <laughs> and then it made me think, am I talking too much in my classes? This is a very fine line. How do you teach a class to give enough information in terms of alignment so they can position their bodies in the shape? And once you feel like most of the group is kind of in that shape, give them what I do most times I say, I'd like for you to count six of your breaths before you go back to down dog. Mm -hmm. And you just shut up. And you let them be with their six breaths, even if they are distracted. And some of them are going to come out on the third breath. Some of them are going to forget and they're just going to be there. And that's okay. This is how they're dealing with themselves. Now, especially when I'm teaching private clients and because Having people unwind and be in, a, let's say, a restorative shape where we as teachers know that there needs to be some silence and space for them to take that in. We as teachers feel very, like you said, very uncomfortable with that silence. We feel like we need to be doing something. The discomfort for me in being silent never goes away. Hmm. Every time I'm teaching a student, and this is even truer when I'm in front of them. Me, as a teacher, I know that there's a time when I put them in a restorative pose or even, you know, lying down, supta strap on the leg. Tell them to keep breathing. Tell them to keep reaching that heel up towards the ceiling. Soften the shoulders and be quiet to give them space. And that's up to, like... You, Rebecca, as a teacher, how much silence can you stand? 15 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute. And then you build your capacity for allowing there to be space between you and your client or between you and your students. And know that we don't have to be talking the whole time. Hmm. For me in a class, I love it towards the end when the teacher is just quiet, when the teacher just says, okay, everybody do a twist of your liking to both sides. And then we have that space to integrate because at that time they don't need instruction. They just, they've been practicing for 45 minutes. They can be on their own in silence for two minutes. But me as a teacher inside, yes, I'm still uncomfortable. I still feel the discomfort and I ground myself 
If I'm sitting cross-legged, I feel the bottom of my pelvis on the floor. I breathe into my belly. I need to be able to tend to my anxiety, which is anxiety producing for a lot of people this space. And if I am able to do this on the spot, the students will feel that you know how to hold space. It's not easy. It just comes with practice. Just this morning, I was like, okay, how can I hold space for this person? And I'm just going to be here and I'm looking at the clock. Okay, I'm going to give myself one minute before I say something. That's it. Practice. Wow, that that is a practice. It really is. I imagine it's helped you in other aspects of your life too. Yes, especially <laughs> let's say with friends in conversation. Mm-hmm. Because the anxious Raquel in me wants to interrupt what one person's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Because because I want to connect, because I want to interject, because I want to engage. But how can I engage as I wait for my turn? <laughs> like you and I are talking and I'm nodding at you and I wanted to interject, but I'm just quiet. I have my mouth closed and I'm just nodding at you. I'm acknowledging you. This is a way that I have to kind of hold myself back a little bit so that you can have space. And um, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that is a gift, honestly. It's a gift for the person who's listening or who's talking to be feeling really heard. And in a yoga class, it's a gift for someone to give you that container for sure. Um, I wanted to go a little bit back to uh, when you were talking about how you started doing yoga 11 years ago and you've been teaching for 10. So that means basically you started doing yoga and you were like, I love this so much. I'm going to teach it. Is that what happened? Um, <laughs> actually it happened by accident. If there is such a thing, I remember I was practicing so much that a friend of mine said, Raquel, you're practicing so much yoga. I bet you'd be a good teacher. <laughs> and I was like me, a teacher, me teach this. And then I realized that throughout my whole life, I have been a teacher. I have been a teacher of different things and yes. And then I just remember doing a teacher training and right after I started teaching and you know, it takes you a good five years to feel comfortable doing it. You know, I, I remember what it was for me and all these things that we're talking about, feeling confident in your skin that you can walk into a room and you know how to contain them. You know how to take charge. You know how to lead. You have your, you have an idea of what you want to teach, how you want their bodies to be and really take charge and feel confident in even when you make a mistake, when you get the sides wrong, when you say something wrong, I mean, these days I don't feel embarrassed by that at all. But yes, it was a whole, okay, I started doing this and very quickly shifted into, into teaching. And it has a lot, I think, feel like the whole yoga philosophy and all the things we're doing on the mat with our physical bodies is a way to bring our minds and our hearts back to the same place. And I feel that that ties very beautifully with my, my background in psychology, which is something I've, I've, I love. I love to learn about the mind and how it works and the psyche and the emotions and how we get thrown by it, the winds of the feeling, right? And 
how do we keep grounding ourselves how do we keep staying grounded especially now through this whole pandemic and grounding and centering have been a major major part of this practice for me because I'm very airy I have lots of ideas I daydream a lot so when I notice I'm here sitting down on my desk looking out the window and thinking about thinking about the future planning like this is just an hallucination <laughs> none of this is happening so how can I go back and I ground then I go to my mat and I do down dog okay, down dog, I'm here, I'm back. This is how I want to start my day with my practice. Some days more grounded than others, but you know, once we get into the current of it, it, it becomes a part of your life. And who these days, who doesn't need more grounding? Who doesn't? It's absolutely. And yeah, the body is such this, has this way of getting into your mind. Like when you can't quite, I don't know, for me, when I can't quite uh, express how I'm feeling through my verb through verbally, the body is this way to like express it in a whole different way. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you have a background in psychology. <laughs> Definitely. Um, do you ever, so I, I had this, I'm not teaching right now. So I have like a completely different experience of the yoga practice, which has been really nice. But I, when I was teaching, I had this it was sometimes hard to separate Rebecca, the teacher from Rebecca, the person who does yoga. And sometimes they all kind of became Rebecca, the teacher. And I didn't really get to benefit from the practice as much, or I'm noticing now I didn't benefit because now I'm not teaching. Um, How do you, how do you separate those two? Like, how do you keep the benefits of the practice going while still being so committed to teaching? Well, first to fall off the wagon (laughs) and then I have a very hard time with that I'm going to be honest with you because I do have my teacher brain on even as I'm doing my own practice self-led and what I use and this is kind of an unorthodox I listen to rock and roll when I am on my mat sometimes Wow, I did not expect to hear that from you. <laughs> I well, love it. And I, never, and I never thought I would admit to this, but um, <laughs> to me, you know, I've been through a very um, hard times the past couple of years, and I've noticed that this love for music that I had, specifically rock and roll, um, has kind of had died for a few years. And now, how I am like waking up to myself again as a person, as a woman, as a teacher. This, this part of the musical part of my life just came back into my life right now. And that brings me joy. And since it brings me joy and I'm having a hard time connecting to myself, letting Raquel, the teacher, be quiet and just me, Raquel, enjoy the practice as a student, I put some tunes on. <laughs> what are my faves here? And I do my, have my Spotify um, uh, playlist which is actually my workout list and I go to my yoga mat and oftentimes I'm dancing I'm, <laughs> dancing. I'm doing warrior two with the legs but with the arms and I don't know I'm making stuff up I'm enjoying myself so I think it doesn't have to be that strict alignment based asana aligned with the breath the whole time you know no can I just do a warrior two or can I hang out in my warrior one and kind of let it flow so move a little bit away from structure and contain 
now I'm talking about my own practice, right? right? Move a little bit away from that alignment based, very masculine thing that we have when we're practicing something that is very alignment based and just let it be more flowy. How can I move this around? Or maybe come up with a different way of doing pigeon, especially the way the teachers don't tell us, like, don't do this. Okay, I'm gonna do this, see how this feels. Like break, break a few of the boundaries and play with different angles. Is it wrong? Why is this wrong? Of course, if anatomy doesn't allow for it, then okay, you're not gonna do it, but be a little mischievous and kind of break the rules in your own yoga mat and just do what your body feels like doing. If I wanna, sometimes Rebecca, I just go to my yoga mat, yoga mat and I lie down and I lie down. Or sometimes just sit down and then look out the window and I'm noticing, oh, see how distracted I am today. Should I be doing something? Yeah, but I don't feel like it. I just want to be here and it's okay. <laughs> so to me, the way to bring the practice alive was to acknowledge what was alive in my life and using music as a tool to reconnect, to self-reconnect to my body, to pleasure, to play, playfulness fun right when i'm teaching like i'm super serious but i crack a joke every once in a while because you know how can you not and why why am i not doing that in my own practice why can't i have fun in my practice and fall off of crow pose and, and be totally okay with this while i'm listening to music or even while i'm singing something so can our yoga mat Yes, be a soft place for us to land and also be a place of fun, of joy, of connection, of doing and embodying what feels alive to you in the moment. I love that. I mean, I not that your classes are serious, but they're very like calm and well-planned. And so I just love it that I just love picturing you on your mat, just doing your thing, listening to music. <laughs> I love it. Please don't. It's I know. I mean, <laughs> no, no, not specifically, but I just like the idea of it. It's very sweet. I'm, I just, yeah. And like a commitment to joy is inspiring actually. Um, so I thought we'd end with a quick, a little yoga game where I say a word and you tell me what pose makes you feel that way. Does that sound okay? Oh, okay. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, grounded. Down dog. Peaceful. Shavasana. Joyful. Warrior two. Mm, loving. Child's pose. Mm. That is a great sequence even. <laughs> um, well, I know that everyone is going to want to hear uh, from you and take your classes and know more about you. So where can we find you? You can find me, all of my classes and all the information for public classes and also private classes on my website, which is www.raquelsfyoga.com. And Raquel is R-A-Q-U-E-L S. SF as in San Francisco yoga.com and all my info is there awesome well thank you so much for being here this has been really great
Thank you for having me, Rebecca. I uh, enjoyed of course. our time together. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, have a good day. I'm sure you could tell from that interview, but Raquel is really a wonderful yoga teacher. She just really creates this, like, lovely space during her class. Even on Zoom, you really feel like you're in a class. Um, so if you're looking for, like, a sweet, slow... But her Wednesday classes are also deceptively challenge challenging... Uh, anyway, but yeah, like a sweet, slow, focused class. I really recommend her classes. Um, yeah, I really enjoy them. So I also think they'd be really great for any older people in your life, or if you're older, or also uh, for beginners. Uh, she has this way of teaching that's really accessible to everyone. Um, yeah, so check her out. And then our sutra for today is, well, I think we'll get started talking about the yamas and the niyamas. So basically in the yoga sutras, Pantanjali sets up eight branches of the yoga practice and they're all kind of ways leading into samadhi. So I think my interpretation of the yamas is that it's the way you treat other people and the niyamas are the way that you take care of yourself. And then, of course, another step is asana, getting the body ready. And, you know, it goes on, pranayama, the breath, etc., etc. And eventually, all these things lead to becoming one with the universe, becoming love. So, uh, the first yama is ahimsa, which literally means non-harming. And I wanted to read you Sean Korn's definition of it, because I really like it. Sean Korn says... Yoga teaches us ahimsa, do no harm. Ahimsa helps us move from separation to connection by seeing the divine in all things. Practicing ahimsa means extending friendliness, compassion, and sympathetic joy to others, and in doing so, offering ourselves as a gift. Yoga teaches us we are one, and we are all on a journey to awaken and understand the depths of our true nature, but the path is unique to each individual soul. So basically, ahimsa is, you know, that treat others as you want to be treated situation, right? To teach, treat, you know, people with as much tenderness as you te treat your little baby. Obviously, you know, in the, in, not in the same way, but with the same amount of tenderness. And to really see that God or love or the universe or a piece of yourself is in everyone else. Uh, yeah, I, I actually think this is kind of a nice plumb line for me for decisions. Like, is this harming someone? How could it, how could I work to harm, to not harm people? Um, and you know, it can get sort of interesting. I was actually thinking about this with Amazon. Um, it is, I mean, it's been clear that Amazon is like corrupt and that the people at the top of Amazon treat their employees so so horribly even though they're making so much money um and i think that straw that cam built that what is that straw that broke the camel's back <laughs> excuse me for me was really the latest thing where um apparently amazon or jeff bezos because like he can't hide behind the name he makes the decisions uh was taking the tips that amazon drivers were earning from their deliveries and taking it out of their paycheck so that they made less less money so it was like they made minimum wage which is already horrendous and then he would take out the tips he made so they didn't make anything on top of that so fucked up 
um so yeah so I think like where I am in my current thing with the state of him says like well I I really can't support someone who treats people like that anymore um and I totally get like I know there are people that live in the middle of nowhere and they might need and they don't drive or whatever and they might really need Amazon the thing for me is it's just convenience like all I need to do is have like a little more patience or you know walk 10 to 15 minutes to a store to get what I need or drive I mean I also have a car so like I don't need Amazon uh yeah so I'm really trying to commit to not using Amazon and I know for many for some of you you're probably like yeah way behind I haven't been using it but like hey I'm sometimes I'm slow to get around to things and um yeah so that's where I am with ahimsa at the moment um yeah but it's basically just like using that you know is this harming someone who is it harming how can I how can my life either decrease harm or at least not add to harm you know pretty simple stuff really I, I mean it can get complicated but honestly pretty pretty standard I would say maybe not simple but standard uh yeah so that is the first we'll do we'll kind of go through all of them and then the niyamas too uh as the shows go on well um yeah so we've come to the end <laughs> i'm always bad at saying goodbye but uh enjoy your practice and i'll talk to you next week bye